I don't know if we've figured out what the value of community is to business, but one thing is for sure is that in the last 18 months, I would say the amount of buy-in from the world of business and technology for the practice of building community has probably a hundred X like that fast. It's accelerated and more companies are really interested in community and, and trying to learn more about it and do it right. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. I hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Quick reminder that my book, People Powered How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams, is available in bookshops. But today, I'm really excited to bring on someone who is not just someone who I love watching uh, their kind of work and all the rest of it, but is a, is a real friend as well. And this is David Spinks from Bevy and CMX. How are you doing, Dave? Doing good. That was a high energy intro. I feel amped up. <laughs> You know, it's about as high energy as you're going to get on a Friday morning. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to get into this. One thing I just want, I just want to uh, share a quick um, a PSA. Um, it turns out that before I started recording this, that um, the world has decided to make noise around my office. Okay, so there may be a little bit of background noise, but uh, Marius Quabeck, who from Nerds and Media, who, who edits this, I'm sure will be able to make most of it go away so let's first of all go through the rap sheet you you've you've got a really interesting career you've been doing some really fascinating stuff you know you were a freelance interactive analyst at uh, rudafin you went on to be a, a community manager at seat geek uh you were involved in scribnia um co-founder and, and gm at blogdash.com you were director of product marketing community at zali um you went on to la web um you're the co-founder co of the community manager but I think what most people know you for is CMX. Um, you're the co-founder of CMX, and then CMX was acquired by uh, Bevy. Um, how long was it? A couple of years ago, something years. like that? Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and Bevy just do wonderful work. They've got a, a wonderful community management platform, event platform, the whole deal. Okay. So you've been working in the community space for a while. I've been working in the community space for a while. So I was thinking it could be interesting essentially for two kind of uh, <laughs> old farts to talk about community, <laughs> essentially. So what is it? Let's start at the beginning. Like, what is it that gets you, gets you excited about communities? What, what, what keeps you going? Sometimes I don't know. I don't know about you, Jono, but like, I'm, I, I, my interests tend to jump around a lot in my life. And, mm. and if you look at a lot of that rap sheet, I didn't spend more than two years in any one of those jobs. And now I've been working on CMX for seven years and still working in community and I'm, I'm not bored of it. Um, which is, is confusing to me sometimes. Like I, I should be bored of it by now, but I'm not. Um, I, I, I just genuinely enjoy watching people connect with each other and, and seeing that moment where someone's really having a hard time and they turn to the community and they get this wave of support and thoughtful responses from people or when someone makes makes a, a new kind of connection or relationship at an event that like changes their career. It's like those moments bring me so much joy. I think that's what keeps me going and, and doing this work of building community. And then yeah. 
And then I just find it like a fun, interesting intellectual challenge and puzzle, um, both in terms of just like defining community and, and trying to create better tools for teaching people how to build community has always been interesting to me because yeah. um, I, I felt like when, since I've started doing this work, there's always been, uh, everyone understands community intuitively, but, um, and, there, and there's even been a lot of great social, like psychology frameworks for describing community, but not a lot in terms of really mapping out how do you build this? How do you get from zero to one in launching a community? And then we have the intellectual challenge of what does this mean in the world of business? And and that's a completely different context of community. And how does a business build community? <laughs> and should they be building community? And how do they measure the value of it without ruining the authenticity of community? So it's just like a lot of really interesting puzzles that I don't feel like I've I've quite solved in my brain yet. And and so yeah. I feel like as long as I'm genuinely curious about those questions, I'm going to keep doing this work. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a multidimensional Rubik's cube, isn't it? Yeah. It's like <laughs> this intersecting set of puzzles that are really interesting to try and figure out. What, what would you say in your experience are the, are the key things that have been figured out and that haven't been figured out in that puzzle? I think, you know, I can speak to, you know, CMX and and some of the frameworks that we've seen really resonate and some of the things that I share in my book. Um, you know, I think the spaces model, for example, is something that really caught on and, and seemed to bring clarity to people in an area that they were lacking clarity before. Um, which mm. for those who don't know, the spaces model just maps out like these are the different objectives that community can drive for a business. Um, so it stands for support, product, acquisition, contribution, engagement, and success. And each one of those, I share lots of examples and metrics and and programs that you can run. But I think that was helpful because while community still still felt very nebulous to people and, and businesses were still just kind of building community generally and then generally trying to figure out what the value is, it helped break it down into um, and it helped break it down into specific objectives and it helped people realize that community is multifaceted and integrates into many parts of a business. It isn't just one thing. It isn't just support. It isn't just marketing. It isn't just product. Um, so I feel like, uh, I feel like we've started to get a better understanding of that where community can drive actual value for business. Um, I think, I mean, when we started CMX, I remember on the first CMX Summit website, we put in big, bold letters, this is not a social media conference. Uh, because if you remember, seven years <laughs> ago, we are still in this phase where when you would say community management, someone would say, oh, so you manage a Facebook page or a Twitter account. Yeah, and they would Twitter or something. Combine yeah. community yeah. management and social media management. And so we we're like very, very clearly trying to delineate community from social media in that way and i mean i never hear that that question or that challenge anymore i feel like people understand what it truly means to build a community um and um yeah i, th I think i think we're we've made progress in those areas and i don't know if we've figured out what the value of community is to business but one thing is for sure is that in the last 18 months, I would say the amount of buy-in from the world of business and technology for the practice of building community has 
probably a hundred X like that fast. Uh, it's, it's accelerated and more companies, at least in, in, in concept are really interested in community and, and trying to learn more about it and do it right. Yeah. I think one of the things that's so interesting is that a community can be anything from a knitting circle to a technology community to a global activism movement right Mm -hmm. and it's i I think the thing that's always struck me is that community as a concept doesn't just make sense to people like us and people who who are interested in this kind of work but it deeply resonates it's there's something powerful about it there's something exciting there's something emotional about it um and translating that into a structured setting such as a business is hard Mm-hmm. You know, what, what skills do you think somebody needs to do that? Well, like if somebody is listening to this and they're excited about communities that maybe been to the CMX, they bought your book, they've, you know, they've, they've, they've read articles about community. They've seen communities and they're working for a little company or they're working for a bigger company. What do you think they need in them to be able to take that opportunity and to make it work in a business? Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and just real quick on, on the topic of like the definition of community too. I just had a great chat with Mia Birdsong, who's an amazing author and activist. And we, we realized that like there's a language problem in community. Like we use community as this term to define all these different things from friendships to families to hobbies to where we work. And we just don't have language to get more specific about the different kinds of connection that we have with people. So I'm curious to see how that develops. Um, I think we're going to start to see more specific language. And I think we're, we've already seen more specific language in, in the business world of community. Um, now on skill sets, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think actually, I guess one other thing that we figured out, I think in the world of business or starting to is that community is also a very, um, complex profession with many different paths and and different roles and so the skills that you need can can um can vary based on the kind of community role that you're taking on if you're a community engagement manager uh, and your job is to grow engagement and get people going then you need to um, have an understanding of how to spark conversations and interactions you have to understand people and um, yeah, you probably need a good amount of empathy. Uh, you need to be a great communicator, specifically a nonviolent communicator yep. uh, to handle uh, situations where there might be conflict or controversy and, and a great leader, right? Like you, you are kind of facilitating and leading and sparking conversations and, and leading this community. So those skill sets are really important on that side. Then if you have like the community program manager, then you're starting to get a little more um, kind of like plan, like very good planner and very good at creating kind of systems and, and, um, uh, thinking about how to scale programs. So it's not so much about I'm just interacting directly with the community constantly, but I'm creating leadership programs or chapter based programs or moderator programs or kind of these more scalable, uh, distributed leadership programs within the community. And so it's identify, you have to have the ability to, identify and inspire great leaders to create repeatable processes, um, create really good playbooks, uh, be re- very good at, at education, teaching people how to do things. 
Um, and then, and then I think the one area that I'm really excited about, which I think is one of the going to be one of the fastest growing careers over the next couple of years, is community operations. Mm. Um, and that gets into the nitty gritty of like, you know, your create, you're like understanding how to integrate systems and tools and processes. You probably need some data anal- uh, analysis skills. Uh, you understand how to create processes and structures and and really uh, manage complex projects. Um, you are really good at uh, analyzing data and reporting on that data and insight, and you're able to tie community back to that business line data. Um, so kind of a variety of different skills, just depending on what kind of community role it is. Yeah, no, could not agree more. You know, one thing that we were talking about before we hit the the big glow and record button was the kind of the pressure of all of this, right, is that there are a lot of community managers uh, or more specialist roles like people who work in developer relations who are trying to balance a lot of different things right they're trying to balance being a good organizer being and being enthusiastic and kind of um, encouraging people to come and be a part of a community being able to measure the efficacy and the success of a community Mm -hmm. Um, and these skills require a lot of you know varying levels and varying chunks of IQ and EQ and all this kind of stuff. And it can lead to, I think, a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, and, you know, we were talking about, I mean, you, I mean, you shared on, on social media that you, you were kind of burning out recently and I've burned out um, as well in the past. Um, how do you think, you know, how do you think community professionals, I was going to say, how do you think they should handle that? But I don't think there's a good answer to that question. <laughs> like, how how do, how would how do you approach that kind of stress and that kind of anxiety when it comes to trying to be all of these different things mm. to make a community successful you know yeah yeah and and yeah so i recently um had another kind of bout with with burnout i was you know i published my book uh we just had a baby yep. who's now 8 months old but you know we're kind of in the thick of learning how to be parents and during COVID and quarantine. So we're not seeing friends or family and we're, my wife and I are both a lot working going on. from home full time <laughs> and we're scaling up a, a rapidly growing startup with Bevy and CMX and I'm building a team and there's a lot of pressure for growth and a lot of work to do. So um, yeah, I like was kind of burning the candle both ends there for a while and, and started to affect my health physically. Um, mm. I'm, 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 I'm like, you know, it, it can, it always starts with anxiety and feeling like emotionally mm. uh, struggling or mentally struggling. But then when it shows up physically, that's, that's always the, Oh shit for a mo- moment for me. Of like, <laughs> <All okay. right. laughs> yeah, I can't just like shove this under the rug. Um, and, yeah. and so, yeah, I, sh- I shared that. Um, so I'd say like, there's no playbook for doing this, but there are tools that uh, work that I have learned and and I'm I'm grateful that I've I had a lot of tools that I've learned over my career this time that helped me kind of like manage it and get back you know into a more healthy rhythm quickly. Um one yeah. thing was e- just putting that tweet out was really great actually because I had a lot of people, you know, you included um reach out just to be like, yeah, like I've had experiences like this before too, sending you good vibes. 
Um, I had yep. people on my team, people who like I was comparing myself against because there are other executives who are just crushing it and just seem like they know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, I built CMX it's a, as a small bootstrap company. I've never really worked in, in a big company or a company that was growing this fast. Like this is the most success I've been a part of. Um, so yep. I'm learning a lot right now just on how to scale up a team and operations and 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 really drive this rapid growth. And, and other people on the team have done it two, three times before. So I've, you know, I would find myself comparing myself, but then, you know, some of them reached out and they were like, listen, I've burned out a number of times I've been there and, and it like opened up some really, really interesting and valuable conversations where they've been in my mm. corner in a big way since I shared that. So I think just one is talking about it. Um, you know, talking to, uh, I'm very lucky. I have a coach that I meet with every two weeks and, and, and I have, um, you know, one friend that I do a call every week with for the last seven years, I think, um, uh, just to like support each other and, and have a space to vent and, and talk. I talk to my wife about it. I talk to my friends. So I, I, I talked about it a lot and, and that really helps you get clarity on where you actually are and where your challenges are and have it reflected back to you and, um, get it kind of out of your brain. So that's one thing. Another thing specifically for community professionals and anyone working in tech and startups, any entrepreneur, is that um, there are ebbs and flows of how much work you're going to have to put in. And and having uh, really ambitious goals and having more work on your plate than you can possibly handle is 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 not uncommon in the work that we do it's not unexpected <laughs> and um yeah, that's a, that my friend is an understatement yeah, <laughs> yeah well i don't want to say it's like this this should be the status quo like i no. don't think it, it always has to be but um but it, it often the reality is, right? is yeah. it, it is because you're setting these really ambitious goals and your team is um always going to be lagging behind the amount of work that you're doing and then you like hire people to fill it out so you are always, it, it, you know, there's like, you want to set goals that are ambitious, but not impossible, right? And, and that that's going to create stress and anxiety. Um, and where I found myself really slipping um, when I was starting to burn out was just not taking control of the things that I knew I needed to do to maintain my health and, and my time. Um, I feel like a lot of community builders, myself included, are people pleasers and and yes people. We we like to say yes. We like to make people happy. Um, we don't like to say no, especially for community professionals, which frankly historically were perceived as like junior low level employees that like weren't strategic. We're like constantly trying to prove ourselves and trying to like make our you know carve out our spot in the world of business. So there's a lot of these kind of dynamics happening for community builders and community entrepreneurs that lead us to just take on a lot and not say no, not create boundaries, not um, hold the line on what we know we need to be able to do this work su uh, sustainably and successfully. And so, you know, what, what I started doing was just like, for one, I was working 11, 12 hours a day. I was working till 7, 7.30 every day. That had to stop. That was like base level. I think one thing I've learned is if I'm feeling burned out, it's probably because 
I'm just spending way too much time working. And when you work that late, then you think about work late into the night and it just it was consuming my brain all hours of the day. And so I stopped working after 530. I, my coach would text me every day at five and be like, 30 minute warning. And then at 530, she'd say, okay, stop working for two right. weeks just to help me like break the habit. Um, and, yeah. and that, yeah. that really helped me because once I had the time that opened up a lot of space just to like use my brain to become more aware of like, what are the other things I need to do? I need to exercise. I need to get outside more. I need to spend more time with my baby. I need to cook. Um, and, and was able to start to kind of turn the tide. Yeah. It's it's so interesting because the topic of burnout, you know, comes up and I think whenever whenever it comes up, people they 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 see themselves in it, right? They can say, you know, I've burnt out and and I experienced this. Um and I suspect there's kind of I have two thoughts on this. One is that um so a while back, you know, my wife uh introduced me to somebody who um I did an Enneagram with, and, um, this is, uh, Catherine Gray. Um, she, and she's been a previous guest on this podcast and, you know, these, these nine different Enneagram styles they've got, which kind of reflect different types of your personality. And I came out as a, a chunk of this was called considerate helper, which is number two. And you have multiple of these. And she said that one of the things, so considerate helpers are exactly what you were just saying, like people pleasers, people who like to be of service to other people and enjoy helping other people be successful in whatever they're doing. And uh, this is almost certainly the dominant, dominant strain when it comes to community professionals. Right. Um, but one of the downsides of the considerate helper is that every so often, um, a lot of people who are considerate helpers will get frustrated that their constant level of service isn't seen, isn't appreciated, mm -hmm. isn't understood. And it can sometimes cause them to snap unexpectedly. <laughs> and it's a real surprise to people. And I wonder whether this is an element of the burnout is that I think a lot of people who, who do burnout are considerate helpers who are of service to other people and they enjoy that and feel rewarded and feel like it's meaningful. But then it just gets to a point where when, when you when when the other things happen with burnout that you're tired, you're not eating well, you're not exercising enough, you're not seeing your family enough, you're not spending much time as much time with your hobbies, that that's when the frustration can set in, and that's when some people will then start having a, a more negative kind of burnout experience. I wonder whether that's something that is actually happening, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I would I would imagine so, especially for again community professionals that aren't always um, appreciated for their value. Um, they're fighting an uphill battle to get buy-in and support and budget and and make it clear what the value of their work is to the business. And so, and then they're like seeing this impact they're having on individual people and on the community, and they're like, "This is incredible! Like, this feels great." And then they go into the you know, into a, a meeting where they're making decisions or getting budget or talking about career path and, and that value isn't appreciated in the same context, um, that, that will absolutely lead to burnout. Right. And, um, and you know, like when you're in that position too, it feels so hard to ask for what you need, ask for more resources, ask for a higher role, ask for the ability to hire more people, and and so we just keep taking it on ourselves to do a lot with a little and and that that's that's going to lead to burnout so part of it is saying no to the asks of you 
that uh, aren't serving you. And the other part of that equation is making asks of other people. Let them say no. Let them have their own boundaries, but uh, make asks that you need, like advocate for yourself and your community and your program. And, and, and that, you know, you can't just ask for it and hope that you'll get it, like make the case for it. Like uh, that, that's why I think this work that we're all doing and like define this industry more clearly and define the value more clearly is so important because if we have those tools, then we can more confidently walk into that room and say, here's what I need. Here's the value we're driving. If we want to grow it by 10 X, cool. This is what I need in order to do that sustainably. And my boundaries are that I can't keep doing these things or I'm not going to add this thing to my plate unless we have these resources because I'll burn out. You know, one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on here, Dave, that relates to this is, is the nature of control and the role of control in psychological happiness and 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 certainly burnout as well. Um, and as a little back, back, you know, I used to work for companies years ago, and I've been consulting now for. I just hit my five year full time anniversary, and I did it on the side before that for about seven years. Um, and one of the things that drove me crazy about working in other companies was that um, was a lack of control. Was that there was a certain amount of politicking that needed to occur to get to an outcome. And, um, and one thing that I found frustrating was, and I didn't have any issue with, with, with the politicking with the fact that, okay, well, if I, I can see this outcome, there's a value proposition in terms of a community. So I need to identify the people that I need to get on board and I need to align with those particular people and, and, um, you know, craft the right kind of messages and then start small and all the classic elements of how you get an agenda through at a company. Um, and that was fine. But there was something about it that I found, um, for me personally, in, in, in what I wanted to do with my life, I found a little frustrating. And it wasn't until I left and started my own business, where I was in full control of my own destiny, that I felt personally ultimately fulfilled. And so for me, for example, I love the fact that with my business, um, it, its success is directly related to the work that I do. But its failure would be directly to, related to the work that I do, um, and that adds a certain level of anxiety and stress yeah. in, in 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 doing so. But for me personally, um, it it break. It, there's a clear line of sight to your desire of what you want to achieve and the impact that your actual work has. It's not kind of it's not filtered through all of these different layers that you have in a company. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this recently because I wonder whether this is a cause of stress and burnout for a lot of community professionals because a lot of community professionals have got to work the system to get their agenda. They've got to, they've got to explain uniformly difficult concepts. Like we were saying earlier, like you were saying earlier on about, about there's a, there's a kind of a language issue with community, um, you know, and they've got to align all of these different teams that kind of come together. And then even when the community is out there and successful, you can't tell community members what to do it's it's hurting cats right mm-hmm. and i wonder whether that element of control and where that line of control lands is a cause of this what do you think yeah i mean i i can relate to your experience um a large part of why i've been an entrepreneur my whole life is cuz um my whole career at least is is uh you know that that feeling of wanting to have ownership and control over how i spend my time and what i focus on and 
not having to be accountable to someone else's objectives. Um, you know, and, and I built CMX as a bootstrap company for five years and, and then we had the acquisition and, and all of a sudden, you know, I do have a boss again and I am working with a team again. Um, and that's certainly been challenging in some regards, but also really refreshing and exciting in other regards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think your point is exactly what I would say. It's like when you're independent, you, you fully own the risks and the rewards. Um, anything good, you can pat yourself on the back. Anything bad, you can you you take those on the on the shoulders as well. Um, yeah. Whereas, like when you're working with a team, you you co-own the risks and you co-own the rewards. Um, and so, if someone else does something really great, you you feel a piece of that. You benefit from that. You are part of that team even if you only played a small role in it or not a role at all, right? Like sometimes in a big company, like other people are doing things that you didn't even touch, but as an outcome, you're still getting better reputation out of it, better success, better opportunities. You're part of that team. If something bad happens, um, you take a piece of that as well. Like um, when something wrong goes, something bad happens with a product, like I feel that even if I had nothing to do with it, um, but that also means that like, you know, you're distributing that weight across a number of people as well. Um, and so it, it is a, it is a challenge for sure. Um, and you know, it's, it's never fun when like you feel really passionate about something and there is an alignment and, um, and, and that can happen and that's hard. Um, but I mean, for me going from bootstrapping, like it was, it was very stressful uh, CMX, I would say, was a very successful community, but we really struggled to make it into a, a sustainable business that that we could really grow. Mm. And so I took a I took a lot, a lot, a lot of weight on my shoulders every day, yeah, I bet. financially, yeah. reputation wise. It just felt like it was all on my shoulders for for me and my team. We had a small team. The biggest the team ever got was four people, and mm. and then after the acquisition, it really did feel like a huge weight was lifted. Um, because I was like, cool, there's like other people carrying this weight with me as well. Now it's not all on me. Um, we have kind of shared ownership of the results. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I think control is a part of it or, or in, I, I would reframe it maybe instead of control as like influence. Um, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Like it's not so much about control cause that can kind of infer domination, right? It's, it's right. more, it's more being able to influence effectively the outcome. Exactly. Um, and we're, we're all do, um, we're doing that in our communities to your point as well, right? Like if you're managing a community, you don't control anything. Uh, you can influence yeah. it. You can nudge it in directions, but um, you can't control it. Um, yeah. But you want to have influence, right? In um, uh, the sense of community theory, there's the exchange of influence as one factor in healthy communities. So the leadership yep. needs to feel like they have influence over the community and the community needs to feel like they have influence over leadership. And yeah. I think that's probably a struggle for community professionals within their organization is if they feel like they don't have influence, like their, their needs are falling on deaf ears consistently. That will absolutely lead to burnout. Yeah. You know, kind of uh, pulling on that thread a little bit. Um, I'm sure that there's the the community professionals who are listening to this. Um, there'll be many of them out there who will almost certainly be in the position of thinking, I know 
I know what I want to achieve. Um, I know the value that I can bring with this community, but I don't have the buy-in from my manager or there's a key team member that I need to work with that just isn't really just bought into the community and the value of it. Let's say it's a, a marketing lead or a customer success lead or engineering lead or someone like that. What will be your guidance to them to help them to uh, further their community agenda and to gain that buy-in? Stop trying to get them to care about your goals and start focusing on what their goals are and align with that. Right. Right. We, we, we often say like, I've been in this situation where I'm like, why don't you just care about community and the impact we're having? And, and conceptually I can explain it. And at the end of the day, the head of marketing is going to care about pipeline and leads and sales is going to care about sales accepted leads and closed deals. And customer success is going to care about renewals and, and contract value. Um, these are the objectives that they are tied to, that their success is determined by, that will be brought to the board meeting and reported on. And if their numbers don't look good, their job and their livelihood and their reputation is at risk. So when you come in and say, like, you need to care about their the community more um, and, and the goals that we have, the, they're not going to understand because it's you're not speaking their language you're not putting in the context of how you're helping them grow and and that is the power of community and business is it can help pretty much every one of those teams grow exponentially so i would get in the room with those people and if it's like too senior of a person maybe start lower and just start having conversations learn the language learn the goals learn what their objectives are and then go in and say like i think i can help you achieve your goal you're trying to get a, a you know, 3x growth and pipeline this year. These are the amount of leads you're looking for. I believe that community can drive those leads in these specific ways. I'd love to have a conversation about what that would look like, how we can help you, what we should be focusing on to make sure that you're hitting your goal. Then you're going to get their buy-in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It kind of gets back to the the philosophy of just when you're in service of other people and helping them to be successful. It, it 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 helps you to kind of align your own goals with those and it builds relationships and it builds a sense of reciprocity as well. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, it, yeah. and if you find that you're like, you can't drive that with community, then that's a good thing to know that like yeah. the way you're building your community is not aligning with the business's objectives. Um, and that yeah. that's, that's a big risk. Um, and that's what a lot of community builders do and businesses do because we start with the tactics. I talk a lot about this in the book. We start with the tactics of like, we're going to launch a Slack group or a forum. We're going to start hosting events and then we'll figure out what the business value is of that community. Uh, that's backwards. Yeah. You want to start with understanding what is the objective you're trying to drive for the business and then design your community programs in a way that you know will help achieve those goals that still aligns with the members needs with the actual community needs like the beauty of community because it's so broad is there are countless ways for you to build community you can do events you can do forums you can do uh councils you can do small group discussions you can do workshops and education like there's infinite ways to build community so the goal isn't to build community the goal is to hit these objectives and if you, un you start with that objective as your your guide rails then you can choose the kinds of community building that will actually help you add up to that goal yeah 
Yeah, I could not agree. Makes makes perfect sense. Now you mentioned you mentioned the book, and I, I definitely want to dig into this. So your your new book is out, The Business of Belonging. Um, tell us a little bit about how the book came about and kind of what it covers. Um, well, you know, my my role model, Joan O'Bacon, has been publishing books for a while, and <laughs> I was like, that's the way I want to go. And, uh, and so I had to get my own out. Um, but, (laughs) um, no, it's, um, it's, you know, similar to you. It's like, uh, been doing this work for a very long time. Uh, writing a book was, was always kind of a goal of mine, something I wanted to do for a long time, but, um, Mm. wrote drafts over years that just never really saw the light of day. Um, and, um, you know, my goal with a book wasn't to be a bestseller. Um, it wasn't to like become famous. It was just like a part of it was just selfishly. Like I want to get all of my thoughts down into one cohesive narrative because I've just been thinking about, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I've been thinking about this stuff and doing this work for 13 years. Um, and it's kind of all spread out in all these different places. It was just like, it felt like a, a worthwhile process and challenge to try to put it all together into something that all stitches together and fits together well. And it, it's to try to make the path 10 times easier for the next generation of community professionals and businesses who are investing in community than, than it was for, for people like you and I who didn't really have these kinds of resources when we were getting started. Yeah. What, what are the main kind of, what, what, what's, what does the book mainly cover? Like if somebody's curious for reading it, is it, is it the value proposition of community or is it more how you go about building a community? Yeah, it's kind of everything, man. It's like when people ask me this right. question, I'm like, yeah, I know there's like good books out there that are like, have one message. It's like, start with why the whole book is about how you start with why. <laughs> and uh, right. like the business of belonging, um, uh, a friend of mine, Andrew Warner, who does a podcast called Mixergy, which is awesome. He described it as a textbook that's fun to read. <laughs> and so that's a great I, I liked, description. <laughs> I liked that. I took that as a great compliment because it really is kind of like an end to end how to design your community strategy. It starts out with like the big picture conceptual stuff of like, why are we here in this first place? Why, why are businesses investing in community? All of a sudden, uh, what was the path to get here? Why is community such a huge competitive advantage? Uh, then we move into how to design a community strategy that, like we just talked about, starts with the business objectives and the business value and then um, and uses that as kind of one of the North Stars. Um, and then it, the rest of the book dives into actually designing community. And so another core framework, so spaces model is one of the core frameworks. And then another one is called the social identity cycle, which is a process that we designed to help you understand how uh, somebody comes to feel a sense of community and becomes a strong member of a community, which breaks down in in three stages. It's just identification, participation, and validation. And so it's somebody identifies with the group. um, Then they take some small action at first, like joining the forum, filling out a profile, attending an event, something small. If they feel validated for that participation, they feel welcome. They got the message from other members that they were excited that they were there and this was a space for them. And they learned something, they got utility out of it, some sort of actual value that reinforces that social identity. And mm. and then they're, you know, as that identity deepens, they're ready to take greater and greater actions to where maybe they start posting in the forum. 
maybe they become a leader and a moderator one day or start hosting events um, and they they kind of move up you know what we call like the commitment curve over over time right. um, and so a lot of the book breaks down like multiple chapters on like how do you design a social identity and then how do you design participation journeys and motivate people to participate um, how do you uh, validate your members with intrinsic and extrinsic rewards and then the last couple chapters just go in the weeds of just very specific tactics and little tips and tricks and things like that that I've picked up over over the years on on how to you know start conversations engage people build a build a real sense of community yeah it's it's a fabulous book and everybody should definitely go and check it out and and it it, it is really just interesting to read like it's uh one of the, my objections to a lot of similar books not about community but similar <laughs> kind of books that are really focused to you know helping somebody to to build a certain thing is that they can be so dry yeah uh, and 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 you know, I tend to sl- I tend to read before I go to bed, uh, and I, it, it's, <laughs> it's good there because I, <laughs> it puts me to sleep real quick. Didn't have that problem with your book. It was it was, I it was a great that. reading. Should go and definitely should go and check it out. Thanks. Uh, I, I would like to kind of pull on that that thread a little bit of um, of of um, kind of validation because it's mm. such an important part of a community, and I think it's an area where a lot of people are very curious how to do this. Like, what do you think is what do you think are the key principles that should be applied in making sure that people feel seen and validated um, as they're kind of going through that, you know, going through that community journey? Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a number of different concepts that we talk about in the book that help people feel validated. And, and I think it is important for you to think about because it's often the one that we think of last, you know, we might design mm. a social identity, we try to get people to participate, but then we just kind of hope that people feel validated. Like, okay, you participated, hope you got value and felt welcome. Um, and, uh, yeah. and, and like, just leave it to chance. Um, whereas I think you can actually be quite intentional about ensuring that people feel validated. Um, so yeah, there, there's the emotional elements of feeling heard, seen, welcomed. Um, I talk in the book about the the concept of peak moments, which is something I learned from Dan and Chip Heath, who wrote The Power of Moments. And and that idea is that um, you know people are going to remember the peak moments from their experiences, and they'll they'll pretty much forget the rest. Right. So they use the example of Disney World. If you think back to going to Disney World or Disneyland, if you've ever been, you don't remember waiting in line and spending lots of money and being in crowds and it being too hot and, and all the negative things uh, or like the little kind of moments of, of just going through the process. You remember the fireworks. You remember being at the top of the roller coaster. You remember. Yeah. Uh, meeting the magic. Mickey Mouse. Right? Yeah. The magic. And so um, you can actually design peak moments uh, in your community onboarding or in your community experience to just like give people a chance to have this really special moment that they're going to remember, which can come from things like uh, learning something new. So like really helping someone have an aha moment where they're learning. Um, it can come from connection. So meeting someone new that that's really meaningful to them. Uh, it can come from elevation uh, which is just like high intensity, um, high emotion. Like at CMX Summit, we do standing ovations for every speaker that comes on stage, and so that's like yeah. a moment of elevation that that every speaker remembers getting that that standing ovation. Um, or it can be pride is the fourth element. So um, you know, having some having accomplished something that they're really proud of, and and you know, you can imagine like 
communities where you have to work really hard to get access to it. And then like, you know, military or training or uh, pledging or uh, fraternity. It's like that moment of accomplishing uh, the membership becomes a moment of pride. Yeah. So that that's one yeah. way is just kind of thinking about having that peak moment to, to validate them. Um, and then, and then we also talk in the book about um, intrinsic and extrinsic rewards and how you don't want to overuse extrinsic rewards because it can actually replace the intrinsic motivation. Or as like mm. Dan Ariely mm. talks about in Predictably Irrational, there's social norms and market norms. So if you ask your friend to help you move, they're going to help you move because they're your friend and they're doing you a favor, not because there's some sort of compensation, right? Maybe you order some pizza and drink a couple beers and and you just do it because yeah. you're a friend. But if you offered that same friend $100 to come help you move, all of a sudden it switches that mindset into a market norm and yeah, they start exactly. questioning like, well, is it worth $100 of my time? Like, well, they just pay that to someone else. Um, and, and they're no longer thinking of it as a favor. And the same thing can happen in communities. You really want to identify the intrinsic motivations, the social norms and, and reinforce those, you know, if, if someone helps someone else because they genuinely care about another member, celebrate that spotlight that maybe give them a, a, a thank you reward for doing that. Rather than just saying like, we are going to essentially compensate or exchange um, you know, if you refer enough people to our product, then you'll get this swag. Um, then it just becomes a transaction and, and people will just do whatever they can to get the reward. They're no longer doing yeah. it just to, um, to, uh, to help other members. Yeah, no, great. Uh, yeah, I agree with, I could not agree more with the, the, the incentives need to match the objectives. Right. And, uh, and I, I say the same thing with my clients. Like, I think the intrinsic is so critical because that's inf- invariably what a lot of people are looking for. Like, they're looking for a sense of validation. They're looking for a sense of recognition. The personal experience, which, you know, we should have a conversation in the future about how you do that at scale because <laughs> it can get pretty complicated doing that when, you, when you've got hundreds of thousands of community members who are kind of coming in. But I want to make sure that I get you out of the door on time because I know uh, you've got a hard stop at the top of the hour. But before we wrap up, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about Bevy, right? So obviously CMX is, is part of Bevy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bevy's been doing some really interesting work with the pandemic that, of course, has been ravaging the planet. Um, you know, Bevy is kind of adjusted a little bit from being more of a focus on kind of um, in-person events and has been really focusing on virtual conferences and community events as well. I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of that, that change and that transition um, because there's a lot of companies out there that I think are seeing that, hey, you know, we'll, we'll certainly go back to in-person events, but we're probably going to have this hybrid model moving forward where there'll be, mm-hmm. yeah. there'll be virtual events, there'll be in-person events, maybe they'll connect together in some way. What's that journey been like at Bevy? Yeah, it was a roller coaster for sure. So yeah, Bevy started just for context as a chapter-based software program that came out of Startup Grind, which is the largest startup community in the world, over 600 chapters all over the globe. They built their own software to essentially empower those local chapter leaders to have their own communities where they can have their own members subscribe to their chapters. They can send their own newsletters and emails, but the central HQ team of Startup Grind could manage the brand across all of those chapters. They get all of the data centralized so you can see who's attended all the events, who's RCP'd. Um, And so it started off with that kind of chapter-based program, very, very in-person focused. Then COVID hit. 
Um, and, and so we did have to, I wouldn't say it's a full pivot because, uh, virtual was actually on our roadmap. It just rapidly accelerated like from years to weeks, <laughs> um, what we wanted <laughs> right. to build because the way we, I think what really makes Bevy unique in the event space is we've always looked at events as a community experience, not as a one-off event, right? A lot of other tools will say like, okay, launch your event. The event starts, the event ends. That's it. Your event mm. is done. All right. Let us know if you host another one. Um, whereas yep. for Bevy, it, we, we look at it as an ongoing community experience. And, and so anything that's kind of a synchronous experience, right? Like forums and Slack groups and message boards and Facebook groups, those are asynchronous for the most part. Um, events are synchronous and, and are really, really, really important for building community. And so any right. kind of synchronous experience, whether it's a workshop, a webinar, a meetup, whether it's online or in person, um, you can you can power that all through Bevy and and then get as a community team, it's really, really valuable from a data perspective because we're we're doing this now with CMX. We can see everyone who's attended an event that was hosted by one of our 60 chapters or an event that was hosted by us or the multiple conferences and job career fairs that we do every year. Yeah. All of that data is in one place that we can now connect back to Marketo and Salesforce and can clearly see how those touch points led to growth and pipeline for, for Bevy. So going yeah. back to our conversations earlier, it's really critical that you have that data if you're going to be able to do those measurements and tell that story. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's where we're at now. You know, we launched our virtual conference platform and we've powered a lot of really incredible conferences for companies like, like Webflow and, and Twitch. And, um, we have, um, the, the community programs, which now, you know, all of those local chapter leaders also had to switch to virtual and they were able to do that easily with Bevy as opposed to like having to figure out their own tools and solutions. They can all use one centralized platform that they didn't have to pay for. Um, mm. and so that, that's, that's what we're building is essentially, you know, think of it as like an end to end of community events tool that you, uh, your community team, your marketing team, your product team, like everyone should be able to power your community events and experiences through one single platform. Yeah, it's a great platform and, and just great people. I mean, I've not met anyone who works at Bevy who isn't fabulous at what they do and super generous and very engaging. Um, Thanks. And I think, I think David, you, you know, you're a beacon of all of that. Like I've always loved the way you approach your work, your, your generosity, your kindness. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm proud to call you a friend. I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me. Alrighty. Well, that's it, my friends. Thank you for listening into uh, Conversational Bacon and we'll see you on the next one. Conversational Bacon.